Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joey Calvez. I want to tell you guys a little bit about the Department of Metahuman Affairs. This one is a story about a team led by a retired sidekick, two felons, a failed actor from Broadway, and a reprogrammed cyborg. But their first mission is to stop the criminals who have robbed a bank, and they will have to set the world at ease. You're going to get 180 pages of entertainment action-packed awesomeness right here in the first six issues in a collected hardcover volume one all you got to do is head on over to kickstarter.com and type in the department of metahuman affairs or dma and check it out right now former president Jimmy Carter speaking and another rare display of a person who's still alive being on the show you're close enough <laughs> I'm mostly still alive I checked I was in the hospital recently and I did quite well I got an A plus report card from my doctor oh yeah uh, I just wanted to stop by tell you fellas you're doing God's work over here on the podcast and I'm a religious man and I truly believe that God has placed you here on this planet to inform the public about the glories that British film uh, has brought to the world. And, and, and uh, last week you watched a movie called The Day of the Jackal, which is why I'm here. Because that was the movie that made me want to be president of the United States of America. Oh, wow. I was sitting on my peanut farm and I thought, I was watching that movie and I thought, man, man alive, that Edward Fox is such a cool dude. And I bet the only way you could be that cool a dude is if you was the president of these United States. And so that's what I did. And, that's, and I, I only needed four years, and I got done exactly what I wanted to do, and I moved on with my life. I mean, I guess that's one version of the story. That's, it, that's the truth, sir. It, that it, is the truth. I do find it kind of weird that you identified with the political assassin, <laughs> but, you know. Well, I like to think that I, I murdered uh, my opponent's uh, dedication to uh, the, the destruction of the common man. And also, those three girls last night. <laughs> what? <laughs> Look, we don't talk about those sorts of things. That's not Palatin where I'm from, which is Georgia. So, yeah, think uh, about it. Yeah, well, you know, Georgia, 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 Georgia. But anyways, boys, I have I have a number of houses to build um, myself because our funding is quite low. Uh, but I will talk to you later, and and I just want to say like uh, like a uh, like a uh, like I'm a teenage girl. I just want to say like gag me with a spoon. Goodbye. <laughs> We we are closing line there from uh, from President Jimmy Carter. I always liked him. He's got a fun sense of humor. That guy. Wow, ninety ninety nine years young, that, going strong. I don't know. How sharp old he is. as a tack. No, I think he I think he's about he's close. He's like ninety six. Jason and Brendan. Hey, we just said our name. Done. <laughs> what wrapped it wrapped it up in a present? Everybody knows who we are. Put it under the tree. You gotta talk. You gotta intro this show as if you get someone listening for the very first nope, time. No, we have six listeners now, and we will only ever have those six listeners. That is a lie. <laughs> uh, I mean, two of them are my mom. <laughs> she uses two different devices, two separate accounts. <laughs> she really wants to support us, and two of them are for each from us. Yep. <laughs> uh, Jason, this is a podcast, which is like a radio show on the internet. You might say an internet radio show. Yeah. But then you'd be wrong. IRS. No, but then you'd be wrong because it's a podcast. Which is like a radio show on the internet. Listen, I don't need your back talk. 
This is a podcast about British film, Jason. It's it about is. the British Film Institute Top 100 British Films of All Time, as curated in the year of our Lord, 1999. And this podcast is called For Screen and Country. Those are empirical facts. Every week, basically, yeah. we talk about a movie off this list. Mm. We roll the dice, we get a random number, and we talk about it. This week, we rolled number 90. 90. But last week... We talked about the day of the jackal. So we should read some comments from some listeners about that film before we proceed. Let's do it. Jason. Brendan. Jason. Brendan. Actually, I can hear myself. That's wonderful. New headphones, Jason. I actually hear myself. That's great. Yeah. Actually, before we read the comments, I just want to say a quick thing. Uh, this is obviously airing in about a week from now, but we just uh, we just found out recently about uh, two people that passed away, which is very sad. Mm. Uh, Joel Schumacher, director of a Bone lot of movies. And, and uh, honestly, a lot of movies that I remember fondly, The Lost Boys. Tigerland. Tigerland is a fantastic is, movie. Tigerland's great. Yeah. And, you know, as silly as they were, Batman Forever, Batman and Robin. Batman um, and Robin, one of the few movies in my life I turned off. <laughs> but, you know, it's very sad. I just wanted to mention Joel Schumacher, rest in peace. And... A gentleman who is very close to our podcasting hearts, Jason, mm. uh, Mr. Ian Holm, recently yes, passed away. Yes, I was sad to see that. Old Bilbo Baggins himself. He'll always be my Mr. Kurtzman. Yes, I don't. If they uh, ever remake Brazil. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's right. I was trying to remember who that was. Yeah. The, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, so when they recast it, you can say, hashtag not my Kurtzman. That's right. <laughs> and I will. Listen, I love you, Jeff Goldblum, but you're not my Kurtzman. Well, it wouldn't, it wouldn't make sense either because Kurtzman is German for short man. So we wouldn't hire a tall drink of water like uh, Jeff uh, Goldblum. Has that ever stopped Hollywood? That's true. They could, they, they could do what Gary Oldman did in that uh, Little Person movie. Let's not even... They could, they could dwarf it. Let's not even talk about tiptoes. Dorf on golf! You need to watch Tim that. Tim Conway's dead. That gimmick is up for grabs, so... So I think our main point was to say condolences... <laughs> Condolences to the families. uh, Ian Holm and Joel Schumacher. Two wonderful men who, at some point in their lives, were no doubt both dressed as hobbits. Sure. Um, Jason. He's the Wilt Chamberlain of film, Brendan. He said that himself. And Joel Schumacher's not too bad either. Hey! Hey. Okay, we got comments. We got comments about the film The Day of the Jackal. What do we got? Well, Eric Chung says, I like that movie. There was a DS9 episode that riffed on the watermelon scene, and we were going through the comments, and I was struggling, because I literally just watched Deep Space Nine. I watched season seven of Deep Space Nine, and I don't remember this exact scene, and I feel terrible about that. Uh, In the comments, they're talking about it. Esri's involved. I like Esri. That's cool, but... uh, but yes, thank you. Thank you, Eric, for making a Star Trek reference in your comment. It is very much appreciated by me, and I will take that home, and I will feel great for the rest of the week. You know what character I like better than Esri? What? Better than Esri. Oh, that's like a Jimmy Pardo joke right there. <sighs> Our next comment comes from Adam Pellman, making his return. Cue the fog lights. I really like this film. I remember feeling incredible tension during the climactic sequence. The later remake suffered from an unnecessarily complex backstory to set up the assassination, whereas the original has a much simpler, more straightforward plot. Plus, it gets higher marks for making a real historical figure the target of the assassination, which I felt made the stakes seem higher. Also, Richard Gere's accent in the remake is atrocious. It's been a long time since I've seen that remake. Yes. Mm. He um, has like I think he has like an Irish accent, does he not? 
Oh, hello there, I'm Richard Gare. Oh, you don't put that gerbil there, you do. Oh, it's a bad look. I've had bad, bad look today. Oh. Uh, the jackal. Let's see. Uh, is, is this a two-paragraph comment from John Chivers? Yes. John Chivers says in two paragraphs, One of my favorite movies ever. Definitely one of the best heist films ever. And the melon scene has stuck with me since I first saw it. Just fantastic. And ew, gross, but only in your imagination. Not disputing how excellently the tension builds, but you would think that having a real historical figure be the target, you would uh, you would work against that. You know that De Gaulle doesn't get killed. This is not being a Tarantino film, but it works. Yeah, he's right. He's right. It does work because, uh, yeah, you know De Gaulle's not going to get killed, but the ultimate question is what's going to happen to the guy? Is he going to get away? Is he going to, you know, is he going to get killed? Like, what's going to be his ultimate fate? But my, but, but me being a complete dummy... I was like, maybe he'll do it. Maybe. <laughs> maybe he'll get away with it. <laughs> yeah. Um, this uh, this next comment I picked because, uh, to me, this I, – I don't think we talked about it, but it kind of is a dad movie. Um, mm. Louise Camara says, one of my dad's favorites. Part of the reason he loved it is how the movie manipulated him into rooting for the assassin and to thinking that he may get away with it, even though he knew historically that he wouldn't. My, my airplane joke, if I was doing one in that uh, comment, would have been one of my dad's favorites. Which one of your dad's? <laughs> it's a big building with patience on it. <laughs> I have a drinking problem. <laughs> Looks like I picked the wrong week to quit taking amphetamines. <laughs> uh, can we just watch Airplane? Is that British in any way? Is there any way we could justify watching Airplane? No. No. I don't think there's British movie... Okay, well, hold on. If one of the British war movies has a plane in it, we can maybe justify it. Yeah, it's, it's got a connection. Was the plane manufactured by a British aerospace company, perhaps? The, the plane in airplane? Looks like I picked the wrong week to quit sniffing glue. You did. You really did. I told you you shouldn't, but you insisted. I think that's your problem. You're handling a little too deep. No! And I don't think you're supposed to hold it in. But then again, I've never sniffed glue. I don't know. I've certainly smelled it, but never sniffed it. I thought I really thought you were going to say I've certainly smelt it, but, <laughs> but never, never dealt, dealt it. it. <laughs> All right, wow, who's, who's this back? is comments, right? We're doing comments. Yeah, this next All right. season. Uh, Anti, uh, Anti, 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 Anti Utic mm-hmm. says yes. Okay, very much enjoyed it. This is one of those films where I had no idea what was going on sometimes, and I absolutely loved it. Sat there watching and waiting, trusting that the film would deliver, and it did. So he makes that point of we see um, Edward Fox doing certain things that you're like not 100% sure Mm -hmm. what that's setting up, but it still works because you're like waiting for the payoff. And then when it happens, you kind of forget about it and it happens later and you're like, oh, and and the fact that they go to the trouble, they do the work and they and they have the payoff and it it, it's great. You you love seeing that in a movie. You love watching it and be like, oh, it all makes sense now. Yeah. Good job. It's like the whole thing with the ID, right? Yeah. We we were like, oh, so I guess he didn't take that Mm -hmm. ID. Oh, he's taking it now. It's an emergency ID. That's right. Um, our last comment comes from Doug Rusley, and he says, comparing the two versions of this movie, so this and the 1997 one, mm. uh, you could look at each jackal's weapon of choice as a metaphor for its movie. <laughs> Ed Fox's rifle is small, stealthy, folds up for easy concealment, and only fires one shot because that's all he needs. Meanwhile, Bruce Willis is packing this oversized remote control BFG that, quote, shoots 100 rounds before the first one hits its target, which sounds more fitting for fending off a robot army than doing an assassination. <laughs> yeah. It's like, he's not going to kill one guy. He's going to murder an entire demonstration of, like crowd of people. Yeah, with he's, that thing. he's like, going to take down a village. He wants to, if he wants to fight like a Soviet TC 72 tank he's got the gun for it like 
So what we do now, Jason, is we take a look at uh, the comparison on the AFI list. The Angolan Film Institute. <laughs> God damn I'm going to pick a different country every time. Angelo's Film Institute. <laughs> uh, great SNL joke from season one. He tries to, Chevy Chase tries to call Angola, and he's like, huh? Angelo? And he calls a pizza place. <laughs> hey, so that's a funny joke for 1975. Yeah, and then one time he calls Angela and gets her roommate on the phone. Is it, is it uh, Tony uh, Danza? No, it's... Jane Curtin. Oh. But anyway, uh, on the AFI at number 74, because this is number 74 on the BFI. Ooh, what is it? We've got Ooh. The Silence of the Lambs. Ooh. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. That's a toughie. Those are both great movies. I, since I do like, I do really like both movies, but I think I'm going to have to give the edge for influence and kind of legacy, and I will have to slight out Silence of the Lambs over Day of the Jackal. Just barely. Yeah, I feel you. That's a tough, that is a tough call. But I'm going to give the edge to Day of the Jackal because my my own personal interest in history and politics and international intrigue is slightly more than my own personal history and interest in, in cannibalism. <laughs> Just slightly, though. Yeah. No, and, and I have read some of those books and I've, re- I've watched all those movies and fuck Brett Ratner. But uh, yeah, yeah um, those are... Yeah, that's tough. But yeah, no, I got to go Day of the Jackal. Which, so we, we split the decision on this one. Which one did Ratner do? He Red did Red Dragon? Red Dragon, yeah. yeah. That movie's all right, but fuck it, Brett Ratner. Well, it's, it's like the... Uh, I, this is my take on it, and it has been since I saw the two movies. So Hannibal is a movie that is fucking beautiful. It is a beautifully shot movie. Uh, Anthony Hopkins is wonderful as Anthony Hopkins can only be, but the movie's not that good. Red Dragon is a better story, I think, and, uh, and, and maybe like a better kind of cohesive... Because it's based on the first book, but also it's Brett Ratner directing it, and it's nothing special. It doesn't have that doesn't have that sheen, that beautiful like like artistry that Hannibal had. Well, fuck Brett Ratner for a number of reasons, yeah. but yes, yeah. But anyway, um, okay, so we're split right down the middle, right down the middle. So let's move on, Jason. We got to talk about this week's movie, Hope and or Glory in the Land of. Let's do this. Jason, we're talking about, because that music can only mean one thing, Jason. Obviously. We're talking about 1987's Hope and Glory, directed by John Borman. He's also done uh, Zardoz. Okay. And Deliverance. Zardoz, also famously based on his childhood. (laughs) Oh, God, I hope so. (laughs) It was a little bit later on, but... yeah. When he became a a a hairy rapist. (laughs) Basically, yeah. (laughs) Um, so Hope and Glory stars Seba- lovely little child actor Sebastian Rice Edwards. As Who must have got out of the business because he did, does not have his own Wikipedia article. Well, that's, yeah. Or, I wonder if he has an IMDb page. Listeners, let us know because it's too much work for us. Yeah, we can't, we can't be looking up everything. Uh, Sebastian Rice Edwards plays Billy Rowan. Sarah Miles plays his mother Grace, who you may remember Sarah Miles as the uh, as a character from... Uh, character? <laughs> she, her, the actress's name was used as a character. <laughs> no, she played a character in the film uh, Blow Up. 
Mm. As she was the girl who our main character had a thing for, and in, she was with that guy. Oh. No, no, she's like his, like his buddy's girlfriend. Right, 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 yeah. right, 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 right. Uh, David Heyman plays Clive Rowan, the father. Yep. Uh, Sammy Davis from The hey, Rainbow. Babe. Yes, plays Don Rowan, the and also older from sister. Some, she was she was a prostitute in the movie we watched. Was it the the Long Good Friday maybe or or. I don't think so. Or um, the other one. I don't with think Bob she's... Hoskins. No. I think she was. She was in. I th- I'm, I'm going to look her up here. Hold on a sec. Well, I'm going to keep going through the cast. You keep. Well, We've also got Susan Wooldridge as Molly, uh, Grace's uh, friend. Derek O'Connor as Mac, Molly's husband. Mac and Molly. And Ian Bannon, uh, memorably as Grandfather George. While we're waiting for Jason, let me tell you a story. My lovely lady. A story yeah, about she was it. in Mona Lisa. She plays May. It was one of the young prostitutes. In right, Mona Lisa. right, right, right. You're right. Good, 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 good on you. I was wrong movie, but Bob Hoskins was in the movie. Yes, she is the lady that uh, he he ends up with at first. Yes, uh, and then she tells him nothing, and we had that debate about whether that 14 year old prostitute blew him or not. Well, we know for certain that this 15 year old uh, girl growing up in England uh, has her way with a Canadian soldier. Well, let's talk about that. Jason, All right. Jason, Hope and Glory, 1987, John yes. Borman. What is this movie about? Well, this movie is a little, uh, I would describe it as a slice of life movie. Coming of age. A coming of age. Sure. Uh, definitely in the vein of some other movies that uh, even if we haven't watched on this list, we've definitely seen, uh, which we'll discuss. I'm sure I'll bring them all up. Uh, but yeah, this is this is about this is based on John Borman's childhood, I believe, growing up in England during the the, the Blitz, Blitz. Yeah. yeah, during the uh, World War II, and, and it does kick off on September third, nineteen thirty nine, with the you know the declaration of war on Germany after their invasion of Poland on the first. Um, and it's Churchill, right? Uh, well, it's Chamberlain initially. In charge. the voice we hear is, but well, the first the first voice we hear is Chamberlain. Oh, okay, and then later we hear Churchill. Okay. Yeah, because this movie takes place, I think, over the course of at least two years. Is or it at least that much year. time? Well, because so yeah, well yeah, yeah because, it has to be because of something that because happens. it starts in 1939. But at one point they're getting ready for something, and you can see Christmas 1941 oh, like okay. on the back display. So it's been over the course because that was the early part of the war from from 39 to uh, December of 41. England was basically. On its well, not not that whole time, but but once the, with the defeat of France in 1940, England was basically on its own for like nine, ten months against Germany, uh, and fighting the Battle of Britain and and the air air war. Right? Um, it wasn't until December that the United States got in the war after they were attacked by Japan. So this is this kid growing up through the toughest time of the war for England. Um, and yeah, it's it's basically just it's not really a plot per se in this movie, but like many other movies we've watched, this is kind of just chronicling this kid's existence and, and how he tries to adapt to the situation of growing up with this war going on around him, this war that's being brought directly home by German bombs in his neighborhood. You know, he's like wandering around collecting shrapnel and stuff. And that's what's so, so interesting about this movie to me is that, that we see kids being kids in an extreme situation. Well, and that's, I think that's the main thing we should probably talk about yeah. is that this whole movie is from the perspective of a child. Yeah. Basically, we don't get a whole lot of po- we don't get almost no politics. We get a, we get little snippets here and there. Like uh, at one point, uh, the, the moment that stands out to me is when they're uh, they're taking dad comes back for a visit. He uh, furloughed from duty and comes back for a visit, and he's like, "Come with us to see the destroyed house." 
And they take him over to the house, and he sees it all bombed out, and he's there with his brother, uh, and he just is like... Is it his brother? Yeah, because yeah, okay. he's their uncle, though he's the guy that's hanging around with them the whole time. That's Mac? their uncle, yeah. Oh. Yeah. Well, that adds a whole new dimension to what happens later. Yeah, well, exactly. Um, but he just says, what kind of war is this? Because he's looking at this destroyed house that's been destroyed from the air bombing. World War II is the first war where mass-scale aerial bombings were done. This is completely a completely new form of destruction that would have never been seen uh, outside of like the area of the front lines, like in World War One. You'd see that kind of destruction, but it was where the battles were taking place, not what should be super far behind the front lines, like back home, uh-huh. off the main continent. They're still getting bombed. You know, that's a crazy thing to live through. But that's but we just get little snippets like that. Meanwhile, most of the movie is about these kids just trying to be kids and live. Yeah. Playing in abandoned houses that have been bombed out and stealing shit. And he collects shrapnel that he smoking. finds on the ground and smoking. Yeah, that one kid that's just always smoking We'll talk a about that. We'll talk about that gang scene in a bit. But, but this, this movie is very much to me in the vein of something like, say, The Sandlot. I mean, yeah. I wouldn't say there's as many strong characters as in The Sandlot because this movie pretty much focuses on the one kid and his sister and... But like that kind of um, that kind of vibe, that old timey nostalgic vibe, but for an extreme time. Not not growing up in the suburbs, you know, in the post war fifties, like the Sandlot. Yeah, this isn't Radio Days. Yeah, it's not Radio. <laughs> it's not Radio Days, which I'm sure is a wonderful movie. It's, uh, good. it's not the Bad News Bears. It's not, which wasn't a nostalgia movie, but <laughs> yeah, Bad News Bears. They were. They was. This isn't took, American Graffiti. Uh, Bad News Bears took place during the Korean War, yeah. I believe. <laughs> It was, it was the kid's equivalent of MASH. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, MASH Jr., I'd watch it. Probably be less... Child surgeons? <laughs> probably, probably be less uh, misogynistic. Mm. Well, hot lips, man. Ooh. That's a brutal scene to watch nowadays. Which one? What they do to hot lips? In the movie? Oh, man. She oh, doesn't the deserve movie. any of that. No, I was going to say, in the show, they treat it better in the show. Oh, that's good. I'm glad to hear it. Uh, okay. Yeah, let's talk about. So yeah, like you said, this is all from a child's perspective. Yeah. Uh, because John Borman is basically writing about what he went through uh, mm-hmm. as a kid, living through World War II. And the first thing I want to say is, every time I think a cliche is about to happen, it kind of threw me a curveball. Mm-hmm. Like I know, like I know that you have the early scene where the dad is leaving. Yeah. And Billy, our main character, um, doesn't really say anything to him because he's so upset that yeah. he's leaving. And then he finally just like kind of throws him the ball because they've been practicing cricket. And the dad throws it back. And right there I thought, oh, he's dead. Yeah, absolutely. We thought, no, we're never seeing this guy again. He's never coming home. <laughs> the second time they threw me a curve, we have later uh, Sammy Davis plays Dawn, the older sister. Yeah. And she is shacking up with this Canadian soldier. Woo woo. Go yeah. Canada. Um, and he proposes to her, but yeah. then he tells her like, oh, I've been posted. Like I have to go back. I have to go back to the front. And she gets so mad, she throws the ring at him, and then she realizes, like, that was stupid to do because he's left. She tries to go apologize to him, and he's already left, and I'm like, oh, he's going to die. Yeah. And again, yeah. it didn't happen. No. So both times I was swayed. It was, it was a bit of a swerve, too, for me in the idea of, like, because maybe this is just the misogynist, I guess, uh, part of me, but I assumed that she was going to be the one to fall in love with him, and then he was going to leave her uh, because, you know, he had to go to war, and, the, yeah, exactly, he was going to die, and she would be heartbroken. But it was like, she basically, he proposed to her, and she was like, fuck off, this wasn't what this was about, this was about fun, get the fuck out of here, asshole, like, and then he leaves, and then she realizes, oh, fuck, I fell in love with him, God damn it. she's like, I, that's the one thing I didn't want to happen. And then she's bitter about it, and then, of course, later in the movie... 
uh, he does come back. He goes on. He goes AWOL to come find her. Right. Yeah. Which I was like, hey, that, that's romantic, I guess. But also, you're in trouble, pal. He is. And which is then, of course, the, the near the end, we have that funny scene of them all standing around at the wedding. They're all getting their pictures taken. And there's two guys in red hats standing by. And then when the when the picture's taken, they then walk forward and you see their MPs. And they grab, <laughs> they grab the Canadian guy and they drag him back to the car and take him back to uh, be court-martialed. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Um, so going back to the whole, uh, child's perspective thing, I think it's interesting that this movie starts off in a movie theater. Yes. Um, because I mean, that's right there. The kid, these kids, the, these kids see, see things. They compare yeah. it to movies because they're at the movies every week. Well, and then we, and then we can con- contrast that by much, much later in the movie. Um, the, when they're driving, is it, is it right near Miss the Daisy. end? Daisy. Yeah, we're, we're, they're driving through the country, and there's a film. There's a film set set up, yeah. and and they're filming a propaganda film because they've got guys dressed up as Germans or whatever. And yeah, they just kind of w- w- drive by, and the kid gives this long, like wistful look at the camera as we go by, and it's like, oh, he's gonna grow up to make the movie about the scene that we're seeing right now. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> oh, I didn't even catch that. Yeah. That's a that's a good catch. Yeah, that's little John Borman. Yep. Um, and the thing too, though, is in the there's there's two scenes in the movie theater. There's the first one we have where they're talking about all these safety techniques. If there's an if there's a you know a bombing and what an air raid, what, what to do during an air raid, the kids could not be any less interested. Like they're joking, they're throwing stuff around, they're jumping over the seats. By the way, if I'm an usher at that theater, I'm quitting that day. Yeah, fuck that. Um, but this was a different time. That was also when theaters were much more casual. That you would just kind of walk in and walk out. Like that wasn't an enforced. Um, People would just walk in 25 minutes into a movie. Well, because what they would do is they would just run the, they would just have the projector running on a loop all day. So they would just let it run and you just come in. If you, if you come in halfway through, then you just stay and watch the beginning of the movie and then leave like. Or watch the rest if you like it again. That's probably why movies made less money back then. Yeah, probably. (laughs) They just stayed in the theater all day. Sounds like it's hard to get people out of there. Um... But yeah, so they had, they're in the movie theater twice. The first scene, yeah, they're, they're not interested in the techniques. And then, you know, we get a little bit of voiceover, which I think the voiceover in this is good mm. because it reminds me of like that kind of coming of age, slice of life the movie. Stand By Me, a little bit of uh, a Richard, little bit. what's his name? Um, not Richard Gere. Uh, you know who I mean. D- uh, Daniel Stern. No. No, that's, that's, that's the Wonder Years. Yeah. <laughs> guy, guy from Jaws. Richard Dreyfuss. That's the guy. I almost said that as a joke and I said, no, that's him. <laughs> but yeah, so we get that and... Uh, I just think I just think it's interesting that they're not interested in that at all. But then, as, but the, then as soon as they get that image of like the cowboy serial that's playing at the theater, mm. it's like, oh, what was this? What Hop was along, this? Cassidy. Hop along, Cassidy. They're like, we didn't care about that. What we did care about is Hop along, Cassidy, who was amazing. Yeah, and it's because. The war is such a difficult thing for these kid children to understand. There's so yeah. much like politics and and all this shit going on at once. Hopalong Cassidy is just straight to the point. This is this Western serial. He's a hero. He's a cowboy. Yeah. Point they, A to he, point B. Somebody says all words and no action about the war, and and that's their view is because they're okay. So we're at war. So what? And then it, nothing seems to be different at that point. It's just like okay, so we're at war. What are we doing? It's like people making a big deal. It, to them, it's like people making a big deal out of nothing. Yeah. Because they don't see anything resulting from that until, of course, a little bit later in the movie. Yeah, and even then, it's like the when, when they get, have the first attack that happens. like First a, air raid. First air raid, the, the bomb that lands on a neighbor's house, right? Um, like, they're kind of joking about it up front. And they're yeah. like, oh, I hope it lands on Mrs. So-and-so's house. She's a bitch, you know? Yeah, and, and <laughs> you even have uh, Dawn and uh, Billy running out. And she, she's like, oh, look at the fireworks, Billy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they're like, she's like dancing in the yard. And then you can see, like, the anti-aircraft fire popping off and everything. And, it's, and, it's, 
a really interesting framing. It's kind of it's yeah, it, and it's reminiscent of the the old story of at the ba- you know one of the, at the Battle of Bull Run during the fir- during the U.S. Civil War, the idea that the locals came out and sat on the hills and had picnics uh, as the battle picked up and, and were there to watch the battle, but then qu- qu- quickly got a reality check when they're like, oh fuck, this is a battle. <laughs> Uh, well, yeah, it's just, it's such a, it's so interesting because you have this, like, re- we know just from watching it, we have the historical yeah. perspective, and this movie does, because it was released in 1987, yes. um, of knowing how awful these things, this was, the Blitz, mm-hmm. and so we're watching this horrifying stuff going on, and the kids not knowing the extent of it, and celebrating, so there's so many emotions going on at the same time, because you're like, these, these kids need to get the fuck out of there. Yeah, because like, like you hear the bo- one of the bomb go off, right? And then the, he runs outside and they're dancing and he's like picking the shrapnel off, off the ground and out of the fence. And it's like if they'd have been outside, you know, 30 seconds earlier, they'd have gotten just cut in half by that shrapnel that hit that fence. And it's not sinking in quite to Billy at that point, I don't think. But he's like, oh, it's still warm. Like, I mean, so much so we have the closest call of the entire movie. Wait, is his name Billy? Yeah. <laughs> or was there just an old man calling him Billy? Really? <laughs> so much so that later on we have a scene... It's even more harrowing because if they – Dawn throws up a fuss about getting out of bed to go down to the shelter. Because she's air drunk. Yeah. The air raid's going off or hungover. Yeah. Um, the air raid's going off and she doesn't want to get out of bed. She's like, oh, I'd rather die than go down to that stupid shelter. And if that hadn't happened, they probably would have died. Yeah. Because we have a scene where they go downstairs and the front and the kitchen is just blown in. Yeah. And you have that like crazy slow motion chart where you actually see their it's almost like a cartoon yeah. where you see like their mouth the their motion. lips moving. Yeah, and exactly. If if Don hadn't have fucking laid there in bed and delayed the mother for that 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 many seconds to be like, no, fuck off, and then yeah, exactly. They would have all gotten killed. I just think I think that's really interesting. And I think <laughs> what's interesting as well is a lot of positive things happen right after these raids. Mm. Like, I uh, jump ahead, but like when they finally end up having to move and they're at their grandparents' house, mm. a bombing means that all these fish come up out of the yeah, water. Yeah, it's a great thing. His grandfather, who's drunken and and curmudgeonly, cur- very curmudgeonly, is like, "You bring back dinner, or we don't eat tonight." And they're having trouble catching fish, and then a, an errant German bomb is dropped into the lake, and it explodes and kills all the fish. And they all so just, they fill the boat up. Yeah, they all just <laughs> pop up to the surface. It's great. Um, and then, and then, of course. Well, I don't want to talk about the last thing that yeah. happens yet, but but yeah, there's there's. It's just funny that like there's several moments that are we know to be horrifying mm. and world changing, but to these kids, it's like, oh shit, nice. That means this happens. And and in that, you see the a portrayal of that that common spirit that often occurs in war. Like as things get worse, the people get tighter. Like they 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 cling to each other more. They're they're more friendly with each other. They work together. They are willing to put aside whatever dumb bullshit differences they had before to help each other and deal with this situation. And and that's really, you know, that's a big part of it is seeing that camaraderie that comes out of wartime. And I think the be- the best example of the the kind of POV of these kids is this little scene where they talk about Pauline's mom. Yes. This character we don't really know, but like they, there's a raid and then they're suddenly talking about Pauline's mom. Just listen to the tone of the scene and what they're talking about. And I just think, I think it says it every, says everything. Rowan! Rowan! Pauline's mom got killed last night. She didn't. She did? Didn't she, Jennifer? Yes, she did. Killed Stone Dead. You can ask her. Last morning. Isn't that right? Your mum got killed last night. There you are. Told you. 
Do you feel rotten, Pauline? She does feel rotten. Go and ask her if she wants to play. Ask her yourself. No, you ask her. You're a girl. such a child thing of like all the this chi- happened all the child things of the the one kid who's so excited to tell everybody that this girl's mother died yeah and the fact that then the kids are like fuck you you're lying and then he's like no go ask her and then go. they just with no compunction go ask this girl if her mother's dead yeah, well, that, and that's the thing and that, it's it's a whole situation where it's like because it's all children they don't understand no. the extenuating circumstances of this whole thing like they're just kind of like her mom died it's a rumor they just treat yeah. it like any other rumor it's just part of the situation. It's like it's not even that it's it, – because kids can adapt so fast to stuff. I think that for them, like, that this stuff is happening, they quickly are just like, okay, well, this is how things are. <laughs> Whereas the parents are the ones that are more, like, trying to – probably having the harder time dealing with it all because they know the full extent of it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think also um, – I think we talked about this because I thought Cass had a great lead child actor mm. in the in the role. Um, this is another movie where this guy, this guy who plays Billy, uh, like Sebastian. Sebastian Rice Edwards, he's fantastic. He's good. Yeah, he's very um, good. All the child actors in this are pretty good. Mm. Um, <laughs> they feel real, like real kids. Yeah, and that's all you want, right? Mm. You don't need you don't need a bunch of. I'm not saying everybody needs to be Haley Joel Osment, no. but like just 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 relax. You don't need to have the super precocious over adulted kids to make a good movie like these kids are just kids trying to deal with the situation they're in is that an osmond slam yeah fuck them them and their fucking family probably all wait, wait, having wait, sex you, with each other wait do you think Haley joel is a member of the osmonds like no, donnie no, no, and no. marie no no <laughs> i'll be a blue this christmas without you yeah i don't want to hear that version of it that's a great elvis song you leave elvis out of this He's an Osmet. I made no, I made no connection between that. That was all you, Brendan. Well, I'm gonna look up the dark web and see if I can confirm that. All right. So, yeah, child's perspective. That's yeah. what we have in this movie. Very coming of age, very slice of life, very stand by me. Um, very like, uh, like I, 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 like I said, I, I messaged you earlier in the week. This reminded mm. me 100 percent of Radio Days, yeah. which is a movie about the golden age of radio in the 50s and how a family kind of went through it yeah. because they had different people that were radio stars and slowly changing, you know, dynamics of it. Obviously, this is a much more serious subject. Oh, and the 50s would be interesting too because that's as radio is kind of starting to take a, a, a downslope because TV is coming into the picture. Well, that's what I mean, yeah. yeah. I, um, I really uh, liked the relationship between uh, father and son. Mm-hmm. Um, which it, it's given another dynamic later when we learn that the mother um, maybe married him because of that they had a child. Yeah. It, it, because we learned that the mother, Grace, played by Sarah Miles, yes. um, kind of fell for Mac yes. first. Yes. And 
I think it was a marriage of like comfort that she went with Clive, and also like well, we we learned from Dawn later that I'm pretty sure she's she was born or she was at least or she you know Grace was at least pregnant with Dawn before they were married, and then they were like, oh, you're pregnant, we need to get married. I, I think she, the mom, was basically. I, I think the impression I got was that she had been putting out a bunch of signals that Mac was not picking up on, and so at some point she was just like she decided to turn those attentions to the brother. To Clive, yeah, or what, what's the what's the character's Clive, name? Clive, yeah, the character's name is Clive. Okay, uh, yeah, turn your attention to Clive because Clive was down. Clive was DTF, which Mac clearly was not, or just was not able to receive those signals and process them. Down to friend zone. That's right. Okay. Also, interesting fact we got to mention about Clive too. Clive is a World War One vet. Oh, yes, because that that is a yes, and so is Mac. Yeah. Because remember that that conversation they had. Is have? that why Mac isn't doesn't go to war because he's maybe injured or something? From well, that? no, he doesn't want to because oh. we have that conversation, right? Um, because hey, guess what? People did get drafted everywhere. Yeah. Um, but they have that conversation where Mac and uh, Clive are talking about the war or whatever, and Clive's getting very amped up, like, "Oh, I'm gonna go serve my country again." And Mac is like, "Do you not remember what happened in the last war? Yeah. Like what we went through." He's more of like a realist, yeah. and 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 Clive is very gung ho on uh, on serving, uh, on serving his country. Yeah. So, but also they have that moment where he uh, they've been drinking and they're getting ready to leave the house, and, and Clive has like a moment where he kind of breaks down and he says something like, uh, "What was it? Uh, it's it's like I spent the last twenty years asleep or something." Yeah, like the idea that he's going back to war, that he's like waking up from some pleasant dream back into this horrible reality. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's it's interesting and, and uh, like I said I, I really do I and I really like the fact that they didn't go the melodramatic route that I thought they were going at first by having the mother by having Grace have an affair yeah. and then you know Clive comes back and suddenly oh they're not a family unit anymore and or she blah, starts blah, blah. having the affair and then Clive dies and then she's off the hook but yeah yeah exactly um, much like the uh, Hollywood blockbuster 2012 where John Cusack is pining after his ex-wife the whole movie and the new husband is fine but then in the last 10 minutes the new husband dies and then all of a sudden John Cusack and his ex-wife get back together it's like do we really need to have that happen <laughs> convenient problem solved <laughs> um, he's not even an asshole no. <laughs> he just gets to get killed <laughs> John Cusack's gotta get that D in well, he wants to. He wants to think that the end of the world has at least uh, earned him something. I suppose <laughs> that's right. Um, but yeah, so the relationship between them is interesting, and I do want to play a scene between father and son here that I really like. Is when he's teaching him how to uh, play cricket, and he's teaching him a certain toss called the googly. Mm. So take a listen to that. Before I go, there's something I want to tell you. You're not quite old enough, but well. It's the googly. Your hand is too small to master it. You can make a start. Anyway, I'm going to pass on the secret now, father to son, in case, in case anything happens to me. Right? Now, you know the leg break, right? And the off break. Now, the googly looks like a leg break, but it's really an off break. Got it? Like this. That's like telling fibs. That's <laughs> it. Because when you tell a lie, you want to get away with it. But when someone else does, you want to find them out. Now, a good batsman will spot a googly, 
A good bowler will hide it. Always remember that, sir. I want to ask you something. Sure. And, and like, I'm totally serious. Do you th- like? What do you think? There's something else behind that at the end when he says, "Like, always remember that." When he says, "A good, you know, a good batsman will always spot a googly, and a good bowler will always be able to hide it." Yeah. And he said, "Always remember that." Obviously, there's more to this than cricket. Yeah. What do you think? Like, do you think there's anything else? He's trying I, to I get think. Across? I, I think he's just trying to get across the fact that he he's joining up. He knows he's joining up and going to war, and there's a good chance he's not going to come back. He's he's expecting that he's going to go and 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 be a combat officer and uh, uh, have to deal with that. So he and this is why he's teaching him the googly right out of the gate because he again he says normally I wouldn't teach this to your older but uh, you know he's giving him the advice now on the chance that he doesn't come back and of course that's why you and I both see that scene and think okay he's obviously going to die why would they have this scene in there yeah. but he doesn't he doesn't and and, it, and it's wonderful because it comes back around later at the end of the movie when they're all playing cricket and he fucking throws the pitch yeah and uh, he's like you threw a googly <laughs> and I mean I think I think like you were saying while we were watching the clip there I think that has a lot to do with this is John Borman's life when his father didn't yeah. really die in the war but it's also just for refreshing to see in a movie where they go they seemingly amp up to this cliche and then it doesn't happen and i'm wondering if borman was well aware of that and played with that a little yeah. bit yeah i think so well because I, I think of like this is this movie is like the anti-wall if you've ever listened to uh, or seen the movie version of the the wall by pink floyd about uh, roger waters grew up the same time his dad was in the royal fusiliers and was killed and i think in sicily and that had a huge effect on him. And then he also had a mother who wasn't as nice as this mother, who was a very overbearing mother. And those two factors were a big influence on how he grew up and how he saw things. And he has a much more bitter, cynical view of the war and the experience. Uh, because obviously, obviously, because he lost his dad, you know. Um, listen to the uh, folks if you want. Listen to When the Tigers Broke Free and you can hear the venom in, in Roger Waters' voice when he's talking about and King George signed it with his own rubber stamp. Like just, yeah. It's, it, it's uh, But this is the opposite because this is a guy who clearly... You know, his dad didn't die, thankfully. His dad was able to even come home and visit them regularly. Nobody in his family gets killed. No, his, his mom is uh, his mom is steadfast, and she kind of holds everything together through it. The only kind of slip she has is when she slaps the shit out of her daughter. <laughs> and, I mean, I would... I, I, actually, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and say I would argue another thing that happens that made me assume a cliche was going to go down is at, at first she plans to send the kids to Australia to live with their aunt. Yes. And she just, she can't do it. No. Last minute she go she, she rushes to the train. She's like, no, no, we're coming back. We're coming back. The kids are like, oh, you might as well just let us go. And then they can't. Yeah. It's too late to go. Well, and, and we see that Billy's actually a bit bitter about it because he doesn't want to miss the war, right? Right, right. He because he, he's, it's just a movie Yeah, to him. exactly. It's just action to him. And, and he's going to miss it. And he's really shitty about it and really bitter about yeah. it, you know. Uh, he says, I'm going to miss the war and it's all your fault. Right. Again, just like as if he was going to miss his favorite yeah. TV show. Although this And this was the thing that happened. There were there were a lot of uh, children that were sent to various colonies across the world, including Canada, um, yep. to help prevent, you know, protect them from this war because it was right at their doorstep. And at that point, it, there was a very good chance that Germany was going to have a stage of land invasion of England, which they had actually planned called Operation Sea Lion. They never did go through with it, obviously. But uh, that was, a, I mean, they did invade the Jersey Island. It was the one piece of kind of British territory that was occupied by the Germans. See, this is why Jason <laughs> is a part of this podcast, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> he ra- has the random historical- bits of history. Yeah, it's fascinating, Brendan. If you want to dig into some real interesting stuff, like look up like the all the like 
like newspapers and 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 posters and things from the the German German occupation of Jersey because it's all in English, right? But it's all like just their orders and stuff and like how you're supposed to conduct yourself and how you're supposed to interact with German officers and it's fascinating stuff. I think we should talk about the child gang. Sure, yes, the the boys, <laughs> crazy boys with the child gang because with live ammunition and dud bombs. Well, let's 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 just. I mean, Billy goes to a advan- uh, house that's been bombed out, yeah. and he's playing around, he's collecting shrapnel, and all these <laughs> these boys come over, and like, this is our turf. Yeah. They're basically like a little mafia. Yep. And they uh, blindfold him yes. and take him to their kind of lair. And I got the idea, too, that this was, these kids have seen these kind of mafia movies, yes. and they're imitating that. Oh, absolutely. They've definitely seen, like, Scarface from, yeah. like, the 30s, right? Because they're going to interrogate him, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and, and the interrogation... <laughs> At first, I was like, oh, what are they going to do? But they have, like, a, a vice grip yeah. that they put a, a live ammunition into and yeah. just hammering it. Well, they have a nail hit, hit uh, to the back to the pin, and they're holding a hammer. And it's like, you tell us what you want to know, or we're going to hit the hammer on and, the nail. And later, when the kid's out of the way, they hit it. It's a fucking gunshot. It gun fucking shot. goes off, and it, and it like it shoots into the wall, and they all just laugh. They all just laugh <laughs> and pretend that they're shot. Yeah. Like, again child's perspective of the exactly that, and that's exactly how kids would react to that situation they don't understand the danger of it so to them it's all hilarious if nobody gets shot it's just like ah, ha, ha, ha. and i do want to play um a part of this scene it's the initiation that billy has to undergo to become a member of this gang but you're not gang don't mind do you know any swear words yes say them go on say them you can't join if you can't swear. Uh, I only know one. <laughs> <laughs> well, say that one then. Go on. Fuck. <gasps> that word is special. That word is only used for something really important. Now repeat after me. Bugger off. Bugger off. Sod. Sod. Bloody. Bloody. Now put them all together. Bugger off, you bloody sod. Bugger off, you bloody sod. Okay, you're in. Let's smash things up. (laughs) You're in, let's smash things. Again, totally realistic. We used to do that as kids. Anytime we had the opportunity to smash something, if we thought we could get away with it, we would. Why wouldn't you? (laughs) We love smashing things. I do it now. (laughs) My my friend, uh, my late friend Adam, uh, and I'm not telling tales at a school. I mean, he's been dead for over a decade now, so I'm not going to really besmirch his memory. But him and another friend of mine used to go down to a junkyard behind my friend's house, and they would just smash the shit out of the cars down there (laughs) just for fun until they got caught one day. Wow. <laughs> and my, my, my friend Adam's dad, Bruce, was not uh, very happy with him. Strange. <laughs> it, was, it was the best story because he, I remember Adam told me, he's like, it was the best like use of just making you scared because Bruce had come home and Adam uh, knew that they, the, he had, like Adam knew that the police had called the house, right? And so uh, he comes home and Bruce goes, uh, I got a call from the police today. We are going to talk about that after supper. So Adam had to sit there through the entirety of supper as Bruce just sat there staring at him, eating his meal, and just had to be scared of what was coming after them. It's the most genius bit of parenting I've ever heard. That's great. It's terrorism in the best way. (laughs) Intimidation techniques. That's right. 
I love it. Um, so, and you also heard there in that clip that, that there, his initiation is knowing swear words. Mm, mm, mm. But he has to know bloody off, or what was it? Bugger off, you bloody sod. Bugger off, you bloody sod, yeah. And it's funny because for us, those are all like, those aren't swear words, but for British people, they are. Yeah, they're like PG-13 swear words. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, bloody. I mean, no, you wouldn't beat bloody in North America. This movie gets away, by the way, PG-13 mm. gets away with four F-bombs. Really? There's four. Hmm. So there's a scene that calls back to this later where the kids are fucking up another bombed out place. And Billy catches his sister getting fucked by the Canadian soldier and says, fuck, to (laughs) alert everyone, which is a great callback. Yeah, it's very important. Only use it if it's in a special situation. (laughs) Um, But then there's another scene. I think think it's them too, but you don't see them, but you just hear someone go like, oh, God, in the rubble. And you hear... I mean, I had the captions on, so that's, that's how I can confirm. Yeah. But he says fuck twice. Wow. So there's four. Four, Slipped Jason. Past. Hope and glory, you fucking bastard. You're slipping those fucks past the censors. And also, let's let's keep this in mind. The MPAA usually goes a lot harder on movies that have adolescents doing this. These are children. Yeah. But I mean, like that's the thing, is that otherwise this movie's pretty mild otherwise. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. not even that bloody. Yeah. There's, there's a couple of moments. Yeah, and there's no, there's no titties. <laughs> no, there isn't, but but there is a scene, Jason, where the <laughs> child gang captures Pauline. Yes. We learned that her mom died yes. just before this. Yes, and, and Pauline's having to uh, take up a new way of earning money. And I thought this was going to be like a scene out of Milk Money. Yeah, that yeah, exactly. It was fucking Milk Money was what I was thinking. Yeah. Nobody, by the way, that's listening to this right now has any idea what the fuck Milk Money is. But it's a movie where Melanie Griffith plays a prostitute. Yes. And some kids hire, uh, some kids pay her because they they, want to bu- see they, her. they jump on their bikes and they drive into the city from the suburbs <laughs> and they hire a prostitute to see her tits. And then that prostitute, after showing their tits to these children, uh, uh, falls in love with the main kid's dad. <laughs> that's right. That is the plot of the film, Milk Money, and it is it does not hold up today. No, no. Um, nor did it probably at the time. I loved it when I was like twelve and I saw it. For what I thought that it was the greatest movie ever. I thought it was wonderful, and now it's like, oh no, no, that's not okay. No, that's not. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's not like Milk Money. It's uh, instead she's showing her snatch. Yeah, straight up. She's getting them all in line. To be fair, she's quite, she, you know, she's a younger girl, so maybe there's not much to show up top. <laughs> they all have, uh, oh yeah, she's not like that girl later that says, I'm developed, I'm developed enough. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, she starts showing them uh, her snatch as they all get in a line. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> uh, Billy is the only one that it's like, nope, 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 gotta get away. Gentleman to the end, Billy. Yeah. But I do like how when they ca- they capture her, they have like the leader of the child gang be like, well, well, Pauline. <laughs> like with his little pipe and everything. Yeah, and, and then he then... They're he drinking, then, too. And they're drinking. <laughs> I don't know and, how they're getting that alcohol. And there's the one kid that's just constantly smoking, <laughs> which is randomly in the background holding a cigarette. And then... I, I, that has to be fake, right? Well, I mean, obviously. There has, there, has there, to be. There'd probably be an herbal cigarette or this something. This is 1987, not yeah. 1942. But, uh, yeah, and, and then they then pay her in, like the random jewelry collection of the house that's bombed out. It's like, yeah, here's a bunch of pearls and fucking gold necklaces. And she's like, okay, line up. All right. Yeah, sure. That'll get me some black market fucking oil for my car. She's not that old. (laughs) Oh man. Um, one scene that really sticks out to me is the German POW. Yeah. That's a, that's a cool scene. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So there's a, there's another, there's a dog fight basically. Yes. This errant German plane is going down. 
the guy parachutes out and all the town is just like crowded around watching yeah. this German POW. He just, he lands in a, in like the, a bombed out field or whatever, like the remains of a house. He just lands there and he gets up and he kind of looks around and sits down and there's like a, a stump or something. He sits down and he reaches into his, into his flight suit and everybody like, is like, oh, and they like back up and he pulls out a cigarette case and he pulls out a smoke and lights it. Cause that's exactly what I would do in his situation. Cause it's like, well, uh, I guess, I guess uh, it's a fair cop. Well, yeah. Like I'm going, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be a prisoner of war hundred yeah. percent. And it's like, um, it's like, uh, it's like a moment that was tense, but not tense. Cause I'm also like, there's no way this guy opens fire on the crowd. Well, exactly. It's like, cause, cause they all, they all don't know what to think. Cause they're all, you know, they haven't seen any of the war. They only know what they've been told. They've yep. been dealing with propaganda. So at this point they probably think of Germans as monsters. And this one German pilot sits down. It's just this guy who's just pulls out a cigarette. And he's just like, well, here I am. And then, and then the police officer has to come in, the town police officer, and he's like, I guess this is, I, I have to deal with this. And he's like, you're coming with me. And he grabs the guy, him by the arm, and the guy just is like, okay, and he goes with him. Because yeah, what not, else is he going to do? It's not, a, uh, it's not a 1917 moment. No, no. He just, he's just like, okay, I guess for me the war is over. <laughs> what I think is really cool, too, is that, so this is like, you could argue this is the kid's first exposure to real life yeah. i mean we have and to the, the enemy a direct representative of the enemy in the flesh they have a villain right in front of yes. their eyes not not something on a movie not something on tv although i guess tv wasn't really a thing but like not something on the big screen this is a real life villain and the only thing they see him do is calmly smoke a cigarette and walk off with the cop yeah without putting up a fight like just yeah. just going along like a, a you know and actually might even play into some of their like stereotypes that this kid grew up on the kind of like media that was you know around in the 30s and, and 20s and stuff about world war one there was a romanticism to it so especially with pilots right mm-hmm. so the idea of this pilot just parachuting out and just calmly smoking a cigarette and then going with the the police officer because you know it's a fair cop and he got me that's like kind of like the height of like the night of the sky idea you know of, of world war one and i mean i don't i don't think i'm stepping out of school by saying that like just because that, he's a, like, i don't think that's the phrase but well, go ahead the school? T- the tales of out of school i don't think i'm telling tales out of school there you go i'm stepping out of school whatever <laughs> you know what do with it what you want um by saying that this this guy's not necessarily a nazi like i mean technically by by every sense definition of the word he is he probably is he sure looks like one but i mean if you ha- if you're like a german soldier in this time it doesn't necessarily mean you were also committing no. atrocities no but but if you were a pilot in the luftwaffe it means you were an officer Pretty good chance you'd be a party member because it'd be good for your career. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm just saying, like, it, it, this movie is not black and white. No. Um, no. Well, well, we see so little of the actual Germans. Literally, I think that's the only, like, German we see in the flesh in the movie. Isn't that interesting that yeah. the one German we see in the flesh is this calm guy who just kind of lets it happen? Doesn't even utter a word. He just calmly smokes his cigarette. Yeah. Um, by the way, the newsreel footage that we see, it's from a, it's actually from a movie back, uh, back in 1969 called The Battle of Britain. Oh. They just kind of made it look like newsreel footage. Very nice. Um, I actually want to read this quote here because this John, I don't have a whole lot of background info on this movie, but John Borman did have a quote here about why he uh, made the movie the way he did. And he said, the movie camera is very close to the eye of a child. A child looks at the world clearly, sees things sharply without bringing a set of moral judgments to it. Movies made from the point of view of a child often have that beautiful simplicity. Well, I feel like there's, it feels like there's a lot of scenes too where the, where the camera is kind of at the child's eye line. Like they must have the camera set up at a height is more reminiscent of a child because we get the sense. Don't they have that fish lens at one point too? Uh, early on in the movie where he's just like hanging out with his family I'm pretty sure there's like a because he's looking through like a little telescope or something and you see the actual viewpoint yes that should tell that tells you right there like that's the whole movie yep um 
So. Oh, the thing I the thing I loved about that scene with the with the um, German pilot was that once they took him away, somebody one of the ladies goes parachute silk, and they're all like, "Oh my god!" And they all run because they want the silk for their own use, probably for like stockings because they can't get stockings. And obviously, because uh, we learned later on, because uh, what's her name, Dawn. Is that Sammy Lake? You just Sammy explained Davis? what I was going to ask. Yeah, about. yeah. That's why she has the draws the line up the back of her leg is because they can't they don't have silk for stockings. So rather than wear stockings, they just draw the fake seam line, so it looks like they're wearing stockings. Oh, and that's why she gets so offended why when Bruce the Canadian yeah. soldier says it looks like your stockings go up inside your ass. I don't know why he sounds like a guy from New Jersey, but it goes inside your ass. <laughs> yeah, she gets really offended. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm from New Brunswick. And it's funny because I, I learned about that, I think, on um, Are You Being Served? There was an episode where I think Mrs. Slocum was doing it for Mrs. Brahms. And she's like, oh, we used to do this during the war. <laughs> that makes so much yeah. sense now. Um, I do like how the family deals with everything with some dark humor. Yeah. Uh, there, there's a bit early on when they do go into the, uh, into the shelter when Dawn actually says like, well, what if a Nazi comes in here? And the mother says, oh, that's not going to happen. And she's like, why did you bring a carving knife in yeah. here? And she's like, wait, I hear one. And starts like stabbing through, the, pretending yeah. to stab through the door. She's like, I got him. It's just like a, a nice little, like the family is coping yeah. in their own way. Yeah. And and you see that too, especially when they're, when they're in one of the, I think their house had gotten, there was a near bomb and they were cleaning up and they had the piano. And so they all started singing, yeah. which was something people would have done then be, yep. just to keep themselves entertained and keep morale up. There are also a couple of moments of that song that's like, uh, There'll be bluebirds over yeah. the wide cliffs of Dover. Oh, the cliffs of Dover, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's a classic it's, World War II kind they, of song. They yeah. have a couple scenes where... It's also um, a, an Eric Clapton, I think, has a song called Cliffs of Dover. Wide cliffs of Dover. Do-do-do. Sally doesn't play. No? It's not even Eric Clapton. You're thinking of Mark Knopfler. <laughs> No, Mark Knopfler is the local hero. We all know that. Yes. <laughs> no, um, but there's a couple scenes like Grace sings it at one point where they're on they're all on the beach, hmm. um, and there's another character that sings it. Oh, I don't. I think we need to make sure we mention this scene because I think this is a great scene and yeah. a really crucial moment is when Clive is goes to war, and he returns, and the first thing he does is like he. Shows them that he's got some jam. Yeah. And I think that's a like a really... Well, let's listen to the scene and then we'll talk about it. What's that? Jam. Jam! 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 Jam? What kind of jam? It's not like any jam I know. German jam. <laughs> it's German jam. <laughs> but it's all right. Came from a German ship. Got sunk. This stuff washed ashore. Great to be. Jam. Our boys found it on the beach by the rifle range. We don't know anything about it. Well, it's off ration. We know that. Well, how do we know they didn't plant it there? They know we are mad on jam. They could poison half the country. Go away, kid. I don't want you standing too close while he's opening. Come here, Susie. 
Well, it looks foreign. Jamie's jam. It's just jam. Well, I'm not having any, even if it's not poisoned. I don't think it's right. It's not patriotic. You don't like jam. You never eat jam. You hate jam. That's not the point. Taste it. Why don't you taste it? You taste it. What I think is, uh, that scene is hilarious, but, yeah. like, also, um, doesn't that feel like Clive coming home? Like, he's got this jam, he's so excited. When they say, like, oh, I don't know, it's foreign. Oh, I don't know if it's patriotic. I think he just wants to have everything normalized. Yeah. Like, he's just very, like, can we just fucking have yeah. jam? Yeah. And he's like I, I, like, I went to the trouble. I got this entire can of jam, which is, like, fucking gold right now. Like, our rations wouldn't get us this much jam for the next, like, six months. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so... I went to this trouble. Enjoy it, you assholes. Well, and I think he's also just like, not everything needs to be political. Yeah. Like, he's just yeah. tired of talking about it. He's like, look, do you know where I just came from? Just Let's yeah. just enjoy this jam and not think about it. It reminds me of, of stories, you know, of um, that I read about the U.S. Civil War, about how, like, Confederate and Union troops would, like, secretly meet and trade with each other. And, and uh, you know, the Northerners would, would trade their coffee and stuff, which the South didn't have, to the Southern soldiers. And the Southern soldiers would trade the tobacco that they had because they had good tobacco. Because <laughs> they bo- uh, both sides wanted this shit and they were willing to trade with each other. And, you know, that happens in war all the time. Or you take them from your enemy. You don't give a shit. It's like, <laughs> if it's German jam, if it's Polish jam, if it's Russian jam, if it tastes like jam, I'll fucking eat it because I want some jam. <laughs> um. We need to talk about the last, the, oh, and, and, you know, I do actually just want to mention something real quick, and I know we're kind of all over the place, but that's how we do now. Uh, but the relationship, I think, is really interesting. So Don and Bruce, the mm-hmm. Canadian soldier, as compared to Clive and Grace, because that's how we get a clue from the younger sister in how this marriage is maybe not 100% happy. Yeah. Um, or at least, you know, Grace is kind of bored. Yeah. Um, because... They catch Dawn and the Canadian soldier fucking, yeah. and the little girl is like, "No, no, but that wouldn't be that wouldn't be you know what you're talking about because I've seen mom and dad do it, and, dad, and mom just lays there while well, no, dad because she says she goes she looks in the because uh, uh, Billy's looking in the in the door and then he pulls away and she looks in and she goes, "Oh, they're moving around. They must not know what they're doing because when mommy and daddy do it, mommy just lays there." <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's like, "Oh, okay, okay." So just from that one scene, we get everything. Yeah, yeah. so much says stuff. a lot. <laughs> yeah, and I do, and again, I do like how sh- they don't have that whole subplot with the affair and everything. She just kind of realizes, like, well, you know what? Maybe I should have, maybe, maybe, you know, another in another life, this would have worked with Mac. But I've, I have a husband. Yeah. I'm not going to jeopardize that. I have exactly. my children. She's got bigger things to worry about than uh, uh, trying to have an affair. It's a, it's a, it's a busy time during the war. But maybe we should talk about the last third of the movie, or the last maybe half. A third, I guess. Yeah, at some point they then leave the city after their house gets set on fire uh, right. for whatever reason. They never reveal that, and yeah. it's not an air raid. And it doesn't, well, I mean, and, you know, shit happens, right? It doesn't, it, there's never any indication that it's like arson or anything, but their house does catch fire and burns down. Do you think Dawn did it? She was the only one there. Mm, did she want to go to the country and live with her grandpa? I mean, is this not right after the bit where she kind of ruins it with Bruce? Hmm. Maybe. Maybe she's a little arsonist. I mean, it doesn't... <laughs> a little arsonist. 
We'll have to go on the um, uh, Hope and Glory subreddit and post our uh, fan theory. <laughs> yes. Hope and Glory subreddit. <laughs> boisterous and alive. Oh, absolutely. Um, but yeah, no, I just I think it's interesting that they don't explicitly say how it happened. Hmm. Um, and then, of course, we... And that's the moment, too, where I thought, oh, Grayson is going to move it with Mac, and then stuff's going to happen. But that doesn't happen. Um <laughs> So they go to the countryside, and we meet Grandpa. Well, yeah. we saw Grandpa a little bit earlier. We saw Grandpa when he was hammered drunk during Christmas, and he was insisting on making some speech that nobody wanted to hear. Uh, I do want to play that yeah. speech. Time. Time for my annual toast. Charge your glasses. The Mary McDonald. <laughs> Thelma Richardson. Mama, please stay. Bobo Hines. Lily George, Sanders. stop it now. This is my house and I will not permit such behaviour here. Little Sarah, what's There was spirit. Marjorie Anderson. That's enough now. Sit down. And, and Henry Chapman's girl. Was it Thelma? No. I can see those cornflower eyes. I've lost your name, my sweet. Oh, listen to this nonsense every year. You're drunk, Dad. Sit down. Betty Browning. Betty, let me tell you something. I'm 73 years old. I've seen half the wonders of the world. And I've never laid eyes on a finer sight than the curve of Betty Browning's breasts. <laughs> My girls, dead you may be, or old and withered, but while I live, I will do you honor to the last. Bless all of you. Bless all of you. Oh, <laughs> she, Grandpa. <laughs> What's that? Henry Chapman's daughter. It was Sheila I remember from last year. Hey, so it was. Sheila. Hey, this boy will go far. Hey, Sheila. <laughs> I'm so thankful uh, that my family, at least when uh, by the time I was conscious, uh, was able to either hold their liquor or not uh, uh, drink. Yeah. My grandfather was a bad alcoholic before I was, well, before and after I was born, I guess, based on what I've been told. But I had no idea growing up. It never entered into my head. And the only, in retrospect, the only thing that should have raised any alarm bells was the fact that my grandfather could flawlessly recite the alphabet backwards. Oh, there you go. Yeah. And I never I never got that. I never understood why he could do that until years later. I was like, oh, it's because he was a drunk and he would assume the police were going to ask him to recite the alphabet. Which, do police even do that? But he went to the trouble of learning it. Because no. you can't do that sober. I can't do that sober. Yeah, so that grandfather, I mean, that's just a little sample of it. But they end up going to his place. They do have a funny bit where Dawn announces that she's pregnant from the Canadian soldier. And the grandpa thinks that the whole time they're talking about that, the place that they're going to live. Mm-hmm. And he said like, cause they're like, Oh, how f-, uh, Grace says, how far along are you? It's just three and a half months. She's like three and a half months. I can't deal with that. And the grandfather's like, well, it's okay. Three and a half months is a long time, but I guess the little nipples can poke around you for a while. <laughs> like he thinks they're going to be there for three and a half months. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I just think that's funny. Um, so what do you like? I mean, just the whole like second part of this movie is drastically different. Yeah. Um, it, it kind of threw me at first. I was mm. like, 
oh, the <laughs> tone of this movie completely changed. Yeah. It's kind of like just them hanging out with Grandpa, yeah. who's crazy and entertaining. Um, shoots at a rat yes. from the dinner from table. From the dinner table. <laughs> Keeps the shotgun on the floor by his chair to pick it up to shoot a rat. Uh, yeah, misses the rat, <laughs> and then they then they kind of mock him by the... Billy says, uh, oh, I think I think you winged him, Grandpa. And then he, walk, <laughs> and then he lipped away. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Grandpa also gets very... Uh, is very, very poor sport when yes. playing cricket with oh, his absolutely. I and I, I swear again, the dark side of me thought that he was gonna fucking pull a pull a, a Vito Corleone and like collapse in the in the trees as he was going to get a find the cricket ball and die. That was in my head <laughs> a little bit too, but again, it doesn't nope. it doesn't do that. No, nope. um, I do I do like. Uh, <laughs> So we got to talk about the last moment of this movie because this is we'll go back through it a little bit. But yeah. this is the I think this is fantastic. Is he takes he takes Billy to school, the yes. grandfather, and all the while the, the drive there is hilarious because he's telling him to shut up like a yeah. million times. He takes him to school. And Billy's upset because while he's going back to his regular school, he has to live in town. Yeah. Um, but he goes to the school, and what happens? It's blown up. Yep. It's been destroyed, <laughs> and the kids could not be happier. They go nuts. They're so excited. And one of the kids, and I don't know if it's Billy, but one of them clearly says, thank you, Adolf. Yes, yeah. He says, thank you, Uncle Adolf. Which, or just thank you, Adolf. Yeah, yeah, yeah. thank you, Adolf. Which is hilarious. And again, just uh, calls back to that whole thing where it's this perspective. Of you, Yeah, you would think a kid would say that because they don't know who fucking Adolf Hitler yeah, is. exactly. Other than he's the guy in he's, Germany. Yeah, exactly. He's the guy they're fighting. Yeah. <laughs> so I just, it, it's there's so many levels that that line is enjoyable. Oh, that's um, great. And terrible at the same time, but yeah. So I, th- I think uh, so, Jason. Anything else you want to kind of go through before we go forward? Jason's bits and bobs. I might have a few too. Uh, let's see here. Oh wait, can I just read my one? I yes. found it right now. Um, I love the bit at the beginning where the announcement, the declaration of war, comes on, hmm. and then right after uh, the lo- he says the lawnmowers stop. That's how he sets it up. Yeah. And after the declaration goes off, there's an air raid, and they realize it's a test. Yeah. And then he says the lawnmowers went back on, although they didn't seem as genuine this time. Yeah. Which is it's interesting. Yeah. Everybody's just going through the motions at that point. Well, and it's like everything changed in that one moment. Yeah. Like you, they all kind of went back to normalcy, but it's like what normalcy are we returning to? All of a sudden, we're in a state of war. It's like right now, like we we're quote-unquote, reaching some kind of normalcy, but it's not a normalcy no. that we had before. It's not. It's not going to be exa- the same. Not for, for sure. a while. No. Oh, what, what about the car door scene? That was fantastic. The car door? When Clive is going to enlist, his friend is there enlisting too. Yes. And he slams his door, hand in the door, the car door, yeah. and he's like driving away and his friend's just like, he thinks he's just making faces He thinks he's window. just running alongside the car and like waving at him and making faces Which and I just totally doing a bit. Thought, yeah. I totally thought it was too. Um, and until he starts to speed up and he's still in the car. <laughs> and then he realizes, he's like, oh, you moron, we got to go to war. <laughs> Oh, I thought it was funny when Dad shows up for his first visit on the on the motorbike in winter, and he's completely fucking frozen. He's, he's like he's like fucking Dumb and Dumber frozen. Yes, <laughs> that that feels warm. <laughs> oh, and when oh, was one of the women was saying, "Oh, it's they're talking about their husbands missing their husbands," and she's like. I think she's like, one of the women is like, oh, I don't really miss my husband that much. And she's like, oh, I miss a big hairy man being all wrapped around me. She says, uh, it's just the best when they do it to you in the middle of the night and you don't even know if you're dreaming. That part was disheartening a little bit. I was like, I don't think. I was like, no, I'm, I'm, but, you know, it's like clearly she enjoyed it. 
She she thinks it's okay. She likes it, but that, that doesn't sound like consent. <laughs> you don't know if you're dreaming. Well, she clearly didn't have a problem with it because she didn't say anything. Um, that's also the scene that leads to Grace the, putting the idea of uh, adultery into Grace's head because that's yes. Molly telling her that she's been unfaithful with Mac. Yes. I will say one thing that I've learned from this movie that I will put on a level of also the other day I learned that Proud Mary is about a boat. Did not know that. Did never never put that together that Proud Mary was a riverboat, okay. even though it literally says rolling, rolling, rolling down the river. Right. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm proud of myself that I learned that. But what I also learned in this movie was that those balloons are used to to trap up planes. I did not realize I that. Didn't know I, I for years I have seen World War II movies and they always have those balloons floating in the distance, and I never quite understood what I thought. Maybe they were like observation balloons or weather balloons or something like that. But no, they float in the air because they have all these ropes that they are attached to. And the idea is, is that if the planes fly too low, they can get caught up in the balloon and, and, and be cra- and caused to crash. Well, yeah. And also that they can't see the ropes at night. Yes, exactly. So they, they, uh, it keeps them from, it, it's more of an area denial. It keeps them from flying low. Uh, grandfather George's girls names are charity, hope, faith, and grace. All virtues that he does not have. <laughs> oh, he is a, he's, a, he's kind of a lovable curmudgeon. Yeah. <laughs> and see, I, I, and, and that's the thing too. I thought this movie, I thought the hope and glory thing where he was going to have daughters named hope and glory, but he does have a daughter named hope. I think faith, charity, hope, and, yeah. and what was the other one? Uh, grace. Grace. Yeah. Grace is our, is the mother. Is our main character. Yeah. It's, but it's because it's land of hope and glory, which you and I both mostly know as Macho Man, Randy Savage's entrance theme Did song. Did not know that was, yeah. a, that was what it was called. Yeah. Well, it's also called Pump and Circumstance, I think. Wait, well, hold on a sec here. Then maybe I'm wrong. Let no, me just no, no, it. you're right. No, land of hope and glory does is it, have. Is it Pump and yeah. Circumstance as well? I think so. so. Let me pull it up. I think Land of Hope and Glory samples it, like as in like a Dr. Dre song. Doesn't sound like Pop and Circumstance. There we are. So unless that's Pop and Circumstance is this part of Land of Hope and Glory. Well, like I said, Land of Glory is much like Dr. Dre. They just sample it. Nice. <laughs> I'll take it. Um, this movie, I mean, the movie ends with that, with the Macho Man theme song too. Yep. Just like Brassed Off. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's a theme. It's a great song. Do you have any more bits and bobs? Uh, Big Bertha, which I got to look up, but I, it's been the, the, the big artillery piece that was firing across the channel. I just want to see, I, I didn't know that the English had a big, uh, piece of artillery like that, like, uh, the Germans had. Because <laughs> the Germans had one that was on a double railway car. Like there were two side-by-side railway tracks that this huge car sat on and had this massive fucking artillery piece on it that could fire shells like uh, to England from like mainland France. So that was cool. I want to see what the British had. I'll have to look it up. But yeah, beyond that, no. Okay. I'm good. Let's move on to the awards ceremony. Uh, this movie goes to the Oscars and Yay. doesn't win an Oscar. Is nominated for five of them. This was the year The Last Emperor was out, um, so that movie kind of swept. Uh, so Best Cinematography, Best Art Direction, Best Director, and Best Picture nominated for all went to The Last Emperor. Uh, best Original Screenplay went to the Cher, Nicolas Cage starring Moonstruck, mm-hmm. um, which I've, I haven't seen that, but screenplay better than this movie? <laughs> Um, at the BAFTAs, it only wins one Oscar, but it is nominated for one Oscar s- at the BAFTAs. You say? Yes, <laughs> it only wins one BAFTA, um, but it's nominated for a ton. 
Okay, so this is a weird thing I found out. So while I was when I was looking at these, I was like, well, why isn't The Last Emperor winning anything? Weirdly enough, The Last Emperor was qualified for the Oscars that year, but the BAFTAs, it didn't qualify until the next year's. Hmm. So I don't know if there was like a weird time it came out or something. Could have been a different release day in the UK. Yeah, so I just thought that was weird. Yeah, strange. Um, different cutoff dates, maybe? Maybe. But the BAFTAs, get ready for this. I have to hold my breath here. It's nominated for Best Film, which was won by a little movie we all know and love called Jean de Florette. Oh, yeah. Totally British. Uh, Best Director is nominated for, won by Oliver Stone for Platoon. Oh. Uh, Best Actress, Sarah Miles, who plays Grace, uh, was nominated, but the winner was Anne Bancroft for a movie um, you quote all the time to me, uh, 84 Charing Cross Road. <laughs> yeah, I love that movie. <laughs> um, best. This is a cool thing. Best Supporting Actor, Ian Bannon, who plays the grandfather, huh. um, was nominated. Uh, the winner of that year, obviously, uh, Daniel Otoy for Jean de Florette. Yeah, clearly. Um, Best screenplay was won by, I'm assuming, the film version of the Pink Floyd song, Wish You Were Here. Nice. <laughs> uh, best cinematography was also won by Jean de Florette. Best costume design was nominated, but it was won by Radio Days, which I think is interesting because yeah. we made that comparison. Yeah. Best editing was won by Platoon. Best makeup and hair lost to The Name of the Rose. Best original music lost to The Untouchables. Is Jean de Florette on this list? <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, best production design won by Radio Days. Best Sound, won by a movie called Cry Freedom, which I, sounds familiar. Uh, Wins! One Oscar. One BAFTA. Yeah. at the One BAFTA at the Oscars. Uh, it wins Best Supporting Actress for Susan Wooldridge. Susan Wooldridge is the lady who played um, Molly. Nice. Yeah. I thought that was an odd choice. Yeah. Like, she's not bad or anything, but I thought out of all the people in that movie, mm. you don't give it to, like... Sarah Miles, who yeah. plays Grace, or, you know... Uh, Sammy Davis. Sammy Davis, something, yeah. Mm. Sammy Davis is great, by the way. I want to watch more of yeah. her now, now, having seen her in these... She like, was in Lost, apparently. She came, she came back to acting in 2006 to play Charlie's mom on Lost. Weird. I can't see her as an older woman. Yeah. <laughs> she all just looks like a child, uh, which makes the rainbow extremely disturbing. Mm. I don't like how you reacted like that, Jason. Oh. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, th- I guess. Uh, well, I mean, I guess we should talk about too. The budget for this movie was nine point three million dollars. I'm guessing there's a lot of explosions in that. Yeah. Box office, it made about ten million. So it at least made its money back. Yeah, uh, I received very positive reviews at the time. Uh, was named one of the best films of 1987 by over 50 critics. That's good. Oh, the only only movie that appeared on more top ten lists that year was a uh, uh, Albert Brooks movie, uh, Broadcast News, oh. which I haven't seen. No, me neither. Uh, uh, Pauline Kale, who's a critic, I don't usually care for that much, mm. but she talked about this movie. She said it's hard to believe that a great comedy could be made of the Blitz, but John Borman has done it in his new autobiographical film. He has the, he has had the inspiration to desentimentalize wartime Britain and show us the Second World War the way he saw it as an eight year old. Uh, the war frees the Rowans from the dism- dismal monotony of their pinched white-collar lives. He doesn't deny the war its terrors, yet he gives everything a comic Philip. Well, That's the joy of the film. The war has its horrors, but it also destroys much of what the genteel poor, like Grace Rowan, have barely been able to acknowledge they wanted destroyed. Maybe standards have changed, but I, I don't think of this movie as a comedy. It certainly has some funny in it, and there's some good comedic moments. But yeah. it's uh, and it's you know it's not it's certainly not a, a hardcore drama. But it's, I've would certainly classified it more as a dramedy. Uh, yeah, yeah, dramedy. I think there's a lot of comedy in it. Yeah, though, there is. For, and it's, for a it's movie very of funny its, of its of its ilk. Yes. Um, 
So a sequel to this film was made in oh. 2014, which wow. we will eventually talk about. Uh, you know what it's called? Uh, the Land. Queen and Country. Oh. They ripped us off. <laughs> uh, yeah, 2014. That's right. The movie tells the story of an older Billy Bill Rowan yeah. as a soldier during the Korean War. So we'll get into that when we talk about that I, movie. I'm just trying to do the math here. Yeah, that would work out because the Korean War started in 1950, so Bill would probably have to be in his 20s by that point. Yeah, like 18, 20, yeah. yeah. So Jason, I almost said radio days. So Jason, hope and glory. It's number 90 on the list. What are you What are you feeling right now? I'm glad I watched it. It was a uh, It was lovely. It was very enjoyable. Um, I put it up in that pantheon with you know with Stand by Me and 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 other kind of nostalgia heavy movies. And I think it's a fine addition to that to that canon. And I enjoyed it very much because I like those sorts of movies. Again, I'm gonna have to say 90 seems really low. Yeah, it does seem very low. Maybe it's because it's slightly newer on the list compared yeah. to maybe the some of the movies. And I mean, but. it's not it's not necessarily. Um, it, you know, it has an impact on the culture. Yeah. I don't yeah. know too many people that know what this movie is. Exactly. Like, yeah, th- this movie maybe doesn't, you know, have the staying power of something like Brief Encounter or, or Lawrence of Arabia, but it's still a really c- cool movie and a nice, uh, fresh, kind of warm and fresh look at that time. And, and yeah. that, what it was like to be a kid in World War II in Britain during the Blitz. And I think the strength of this list, honestly, I think there's maybe like three actual combat movies i mean maybe four if you count or five if you count lawrence and bridge i don't really yeah. count them too much but um bridge especially <laughs> yeah yeah i mean maybe a little bit but like the, there's only two real it's only really two full-on combat movies on this list which i think is so interesting when you compare it to the american one yeah. where there's so many war movies about like you know combat and fighting and battles yeah. and all that which obviously is a part of the war but it's just interesting to see so many different takes yeah. on it there's so much more going on than just that yeah exactly exactly so i think we're both saying rent it today rent it today at your local blockbuster or churro home video it's time it's dice time dice time with brendan time it is dice time with brendan time and what are we going to do here jason we are going to take two dice one of which is a tens d1 and the other which is a ones d1 we're going to roll one and we're going to roll the other and the resulting number assuming we haven't already watched it we are going to watch that movie as listed on the list of 100 movies of which we have 49 left yeah after this one we're past the hump oh my god which is what i said to you last night good times great oldies <laughs> so i'm gonna roll it's my turn to roll uh, you got that list ready jason i am gonna i'm gonna see what what tens i'm gonna roll the tens d10 first do it see what we got here oh oh shit jason zero We're zero in the, well we got a couple all okay, right okay okay we've done a bunch of these already but number two we've, we've already, already done brief encounter yeah yeah try again all right all right here we go oh we're in the zeros, we're in the zeros again determined Ready? Yep. Four. Uh, we've already seen the 39 steps. Okay. All right. Here we go. God damn it. 50s. All right. In the 50s. Here we go. Got a few? Yep. 54. Already saw Brazil. Let's try again. All right. God damn it. <laughs> We're going to do this. 90. Oh, carry on up the Kyber. Let's do this. Yep. Let's do this. 95. Nope, we already saw Live is Sweet. Try again. Oh, damn it. <laughs> I was really hoping for Carry On. 90. 90 again. All right, here we go. Thank you, tablet. 96. 96. We already watched The Wicker Man. Try again. Oh, damn it. <laughs> this is fun. 
20. 20. All right. Got some in the 20s? We do. 24. 24. Whiskey galore! Oh, holy, holy shit! shit. <laughs> Finally! Yes! This is a movie that Brendan initially had to order and actually purchase on DVD because he could not find it anywhere else. All right, finally, we're there. We, we've been making, we've been wondering about how long it would finally take, and we're finally to Whiskey Galore. People, people are wondering, like, <laughs> the fuck are they so excited for? But this has kind of been a running inside joke. Yeah, this has been, because he, he got this movie before, I think, we even started the first episode, and yeah. we were like, okay, when's it going to come up? And now here we are, like, two years into this thing. <laughs> whiskey motherfucking galore. Yeah. It's going to happen, Jason. Finally. Biggest, biggest ratings yet. <laughs> Wow. So we're going to talk about that. This is the original film. What year is that, uh, Jason? Uh, I believe... Make sure we're getting it out there right to the... Why, is there a remake of it? Oh, oh yeah. Uh, uh, Whiskey Galore, 94. No, no, we're looking at number 24. 24. 1949. Okay, make sure you watch the 1949 version, folks. Alexander McKendrick. You may have to order it on DVD. Oh, Alexander McKendrick. We're going back to him. We talked about the Lady Killers already, so... Very nice. Um, so Jason we're going to talk about whiskey galore next week I never thought I'd say those words <laughs> but until then I just want to say you can follow us on social media uh, so you can follow us on twitter at bfi underscore pod you can find us on facebook just search for for screen Dan Gundry. you can follow Jason at Jason D. McLeod that's M-A-C-L-E-O-D you can see that I recently posted a picture of the only important things I keep in my wallet my, blo- my old Blockbuster card and my old card for Truro Home Video, which and is actually my dad's card. It has his name on it, but it was mine. And I think you often talk about your childhood on there. I try to. Yeah. It was a good time. You're, you're, when you were a child soldier. Yeah. Well, I mean, we, we, we all had to do what we had to do. It was good, to, you know, but it was a formative experience. So there you go, guys. Enjoy. <laughs> I'm so excited to do Whiskey This will be fun. I hope it's funny. <laughs> um, but until that moment, I just have to say to you, Jason... God save the queen. God save the screen. And for Screen and Country, I am Brendan. And I'm Jason. Bye. Bye. Next week, we need to have a whole bottle of whiskey. When they begin the begin, it brings back the sound of music so tender. It brings back the night of tropical splendor. It brings back a memory and a I'm with you once more under the stars And down by the shore an orchestra's playing and Even the palms seem to be swaying When they begin the beginning To live it again Is past all endeavor Except when that tune Clutches my heart And there we are Hi, this is Tony, the host of the Flix X-Ray podcast. Each week, I am joined by guests... Hello. Yo. Why, hello there. 
Hello. Hey. Hello. Hello. And we have a roundtable discussion where we dig deep and x-ray a bunch of our favorite films and some really terrible ones, too. We really like to go back and take a look at films that may be forgotten, maybe in the past, and still lovable films. If you want, you can follow us on all the major platforms, iTunes, Google, Stitcher. If you want to find out more, you can find us online at www.flixxray.com. And you can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram if you want to reach out to us. Good night, Internet.